Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I am your host, Brett Curry, and today we are going to dive into a really interesting topic, a topic that, that prior to a few days ago, I really didn't know all that much about. But I think it's something that will impact your store, it'll impact your strategy, and I think it's just kind of interesting as well. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to talk about uh, millennials and credit, or the lack thereof, and creating payment plans to help you sell more goods online. This episode of the E-Commerce Evolution Podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. Hey, that's my company. Uh, OMG Commerce is the primary underwriter of the e-commerce evolution podcast, and we're excited to do that, excited to bring this content to you. A quick offer from OMG Commerce. We are a Google Premier Partner, so we're in the top 3% of all Google partners, one of the fastest growing in the world last year. Uh, if you would like a second set of eyes on your Google campaigns, whether that's Google Shopping, Search, YouTube, Remarketing, or the like, we would love to talk to you, love to schedule a strategy session, love to look at your campaigns and provide ideas for improvement. Also, Amazon. We would love to talk to you about your Amazon ad strategy and have an Amazon audit for you, uh, complimentary for listeners of the e-commerce evolution podcast. Our Amazon department is led by Mr. Chris Tyler to find out more about the way we approach Amazon campaigns, go back and check out episode 39 as we do a deep dive and look at Amazon advertising. But we would love to help you with either of those traffic sources. And so if you're interested, go to omgcommerce.com, click on any of the services, and there's a quick form to fill out right there. And now, back to the show. Today, my, my uh, guest is going to bring the goods. Uh, today, I'm excited to, to welcome the CEO and co-founder of Sezzle. Mr. Charlie Uakim. And Charlie and I met at IRCE in Chicago. I uh, was immediately fascinated by the business. We kind of hit it off, had a great chat about a week ago and said, hey, let's, let's do the podcast. This would be awesome. So Charlie, welcome to the show and thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the topic of credit and credit history and why millennials don't have credit and, and, then, and then, you know, how you guys kind of help solve that. Uh, would love to hear your background because you know we're, we're kindred spirits, right? We're, we're both entrepreneurs. We may dive into some entre entrepreneurial lessons uh, as well as we go, but um, give just kind of your brief background. How did you get to Sezzle? And, and maybe give just a brief chat about what Sezzle is. We'll get dig more into the details as we go, uh, but maybe just a brief taste. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess you can call me a tech entrepreneur at this point. Um, my background's in tech, like, uh, you know, tinker, software developer and undergrad and so on. Went into development right out of school and always wanted to start something. I mean, I was always kind of building things on the side, but growing up in Minneapolis, there's not a lot of examples about how to start a tech company, you know, and didn't know how to do it. And then went to business school in 2008 and it was the downturn in the economy. And it was kind of like the push out of the nest. Like I, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, and I started my first company right out of business school, a company that did parking apps. So you download an app to pay for parking. Got a lot of experience, took a lot of knocks starting that company, but we- Necessary, necessary that. as an entrepreneur, you <laughs> learn through that. Best way sure. to learn. Exactly, <laughs> no sure. doubt. You never, you never forget. Yep. Uh, and then built that company. We ended up doing some really big installations like Park Chicago, Park Boston, and the Green Pea in Toronto, and a bunch of other cities across the US. And then got into transit payments. And then I moved on from that company in 2015, 16, 
to start Sezzle. And what we are trying to do at Sezzle is really solve a credit problem around millennials. And so we basically noticed that there was a lot of data that young people were paying with debit in higher numbers than ever before. And there was this conundrum, is it a preference or is it a lack of access? And we looked at it from both sides and basically determined that it was really a, a lack of access. There is some preference, but it's it more a lack of access that there was this difficult understanding and you know what was going on in credit for young consumers. And that's what we're doing at Sezzle is really taking alternative looks at basically offering purchasing power to these young consumers. Got it, got it. And you know, one thing I, I thought we, we might do just to kind of begin with, uh, before we dive into this topic, because it's really rich with with good information, uh, but you did not start Sezzle with this current offering, right? So, yep. so much success in your parking and transit apps, which is great, like finding that that yep. need and filling it, which is awesome. Uh, but what did you start Sezzle to do? And then talk about that that experience of deciding to to pivot. Yeah, so even at my prior company, we pivoted. And then when we started Sezzle, we had a different product. And it was kind of like what I was talking about before. There's this data that young consumers were paying with debit in higher numbers than ever before. Was it a, a, a preference or was it a lack of access? Our first iteration was took it as a preference. And so what we said is, hey, young consumers like to pay with debit. Let's give them a way to pay with debit with their bank. Sort of like a Venmo-like payment experience. Uh, where a user signs into their bank account, we can allow them to pay in a checkout, and we'll give them rewards for doing it, and it'll help lower costs for merchants. So we're always trying to like, think how we help the merchant out. Yeah, that's yeah. Us. which is smart, like like reducing those processing fees for a merchant. That's that's significant. And if you got this market that loves to pay with debit, which is weird, but they do, uh, let's yeah. let's give them rewards for doing that. So that's a, that's a great looking at the problem. I could totally see how you would come to that conclusion, and and, and it's it's smart at the, on the surface. Yeah, and so we raised funds for that and built a team, launched product, and then it just kind of fell flat. We couldn't get enough interest. Like, So that's where we flipped our hypothesis. It wasn't as much a preference as a lack of access. And so we basically flipped the product. Hey, it's, it's not a, a want to pay with bank. They have, it's got, I always give the analogy, you know, um, people are eating a lot of chicken. They love chicken. No, actually, it's just they can't get beef. So, yeah. so we started to offer beef. Yeah. And it turns out there's a lot of demand for the yeah. beef. College students, so. they just love Top Ramen. Let, let's keep serving them Top Ramen forever. No, they, don't, they yeah. don't have money right now. That's why they're eating that stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's not a preference. So, <laughs> so got it. That, that's phenomenal. So I want to dive into that just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll continue with the topic of credit and payments and how it all works. But uh, I just want to give kudos to you guys for, for having the courage to, to flip the business. And especially because you took investors, that makes it more risky. And, and, and I think you were telling me that not everyone was really cool with that. But, but can you walk through that process? Like, was that a pretty painful decision to, to both realize, hey, it wasn't that we were way off in left field, but we did, we did uh, have this a little bit off and now we got to shift gears. What was that process like? Oh, so, you know, the first thing we did is we made sure we tested every type of iteration on our product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we didn't want to, like, you don't want to give up right away, right? So we launched the product yes. and we tried, you know, a lot of different options on the product in terms of trying to get it to pick up. I mean, some of the options we were even offering were unprofitable, giving too many rewards, you know, above our cost. And when we saw that it still didn't pick up when you're giving 5% cash back, when you're only charging 1.5%, we're like, this is not going to work. And, and, and you make uh, that up on your end by volume, right? That's how you make the money on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just more volume. It takes care of it all. <laughs> totally spin it up. 
So I kind of, you know, we had a gut feeling that we had an issue. And, you know, so for me, the iteration went through testing new products, seeing if we can make it hit because pivoting is painful. And then we talked to our investors, basically, you know, lots of updates. It's always going to be heavy on the update side with your investors about what's going on, even if it's not good and which is hard to do, but you have to be honest. And then just basically polling investors, your stakeholders, pull your stakeholders, pull your investors, pull the team, you know, talk to your customers, you know, what is it that you think that would help this hit? And sometimes you, you know, I would say, or I hear this and I agree with it, you can't be data driven, you've got to be data influenced. And sometimes you've got to go with your intuition. And some of it was just like intuition. We knew we had to pivot what's near space, what's working. And then when you think about it, like in the back of our mind was that initial hypothesis. And so we said, hey, let's flip it, which is kind of crazy because we completely flipped what we yeah. were doing. Yeah. And, and so that was the big part of the pivot. Underlying it was not that difficult because we had a lot of the plumbing in place to do it. So, you know, a little bit out on the island, but then what's amazing is the moment we flipped, you could see it. Like yeah, initially, yeah. merchants were more interested in selling more than saving on costs. And then the consumer demand was really impressive. Yeah, and so we yeah. do like even early launch, we, we took us like two months to pivot. Early launch, we saw amazing traction. And mm -hmm. we're like, even though it was a super low volume, you knew it. That's awesome. And I think, I think most businesses are going to run into a moment like that. Maybe not with the entire business. But but with a product or or a new service or something where you're launching this, it didn't work exactly how you thought. And so I think really your process is a pretty good blueprint where, where you first say, okay, maybe we're just not executing properly. Maybe maybe this just isn't, we're not giving uh, our customers exactly what they want. So let's, let's shift it a little bit, right? Let's execute a little bit better. And then, you know, after you kind of exhausted that, you realized, you know, I think it may be just the offer. It's the concept. It's... It's the, the 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 premise was off, and then and then you pivoted, you flipped it, and uh, it was pretty immediate there that that you knew like, hey, this is what both parties want. Let's roll with it. And a little shout out to Andreessen Horowitz, if people know that name. They were actually they had a podcast and a blog post about pivoting, and I think both of those were pretty impressive. It's uh, awesome. So you know, there's a there's a blog by Mark Andreessen. I think it says like the title's the only thing that matters. And it's product market fit. Like, yeah, yeah. Like product market fit. And, and they were talking about team product market fit. And, and he said uh, in his blog, which really hit home for me, is like the companies that usually have the bad product market fit and try to keep on plowing ahead are usually second time entrepreneurs that had success in the past. And I was like, yeah, this feels like me right now. You cut me deep, Mark. Yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, it's so true, you know, and, and there's, there's a little bit, um, so my son, I have a son who's 16. And so he's asking all these questions about business. And so I'm trying to like reveal what I think is part of the entrepreneurial mindset, you know? And so, so we talk about how, you know, in some ways entrepreneurs are a little bit stubborn. Like we have to be willing to say, I don't care if five people told me this is a dumb idea. I believe in my heart it's a good idea. I'm going to push forward. So there has to be a little bit of that, but then there also has to be somewhere you're you're listening to smart people, you're listening to the right people, and you say, you know what, uh, you're right. I need I need to shift gears a little bit. I need to pump the brakes, or in your case, pivot. So so kudos to you guys, and, and just love to see that it's it's taken off. So so that's awesome. So let, let's dive into though what's behind this product, and and it's something that I did not know. So. I mean, I've studied millennials, I guess, a little bit, but I didn't know that millennials don't really have credit 
right? And, and then yeah. they use debit cards, but not necessarily out of choice. So, so what I, I thought might be interesting is maybe dive into a little bit of the history of credit, uh, because I think that can kind of influence you know, the rest of our discussion. And, and, and this is an important topic for every merchant. And then let's talk about millennials and why they use debit cards. So the history of credit and merchants are strongly tied. I mean, really merchants invented credit. Right. So right. You, I mean, they want to sell more stuff. Back, yeah. They want to sell more stuff. So that's, that's what's so, that's why it's so tightly aligned. So you can think back to like, even like you watch old movies, a person walking in the corner store, like put it on my tap, you know, they, yep. that's yep. how it was invented, yep. the original private label credit card. And so the first credit card was launched in 1950 uh, by the Diners Club. So the, the Diners Club credit card was the first one launched in New York City. And soon thereafter, Visa launched uh, as Bank AmeriCard in like 1956, 58. I can't remember the exact year. And then a group of banks launched MasterCard shortly thereafter. And then these innovations in credit continued to help merchants sell more. And basically everything was going just great in the credit space up until the downturn in the economy. And in the downturn in the economy, obviously a lot of things came crashing down. And a lot of things have recovered since then. But the one group that's really not recovered are- You're talking 2008, 2009, when things, when things just tanked, yeah. Yeah, and so the reason millennials, I think, haven't recovered, there's a, probably a number of reasons. But you know, one of them is there's new legislation that launched in 2009, the CARD Act, which made it illegal for credit card companies to market on college campuses. So there's a lack of awareness. And then it also made it illegal for a, an 18 year old to get a credit card. So you'd be the age of 21 to get a credit card, unless you had a full-time job or parents co-signing. And so for me, I always give them my story. Like I got a credit card when I was 18 and I used it because I was in college. And then by the time I got into my first job, I had a pretty powerful credit card. So I kept on using it. I got used to it and loved it. And I think what's happening now is young consumers are entering the workforce. They finally have a powerful debit card, a lot of money behind it because they have the first job. They get this first credit card. It's got a couple hundred dollars for the limit. They're like, why would I use this? You know, so they don't use it as much. And if you don't use it, you don't build it up. And then you also have mounting student loan debt. That's also creating, you know, a, a bit more of a burden for young consumers. And then you also have this group that I think did see in their formative years, the downturn and what happened to their family and friends. And so there are some people that are not participating, but basically they're all kind of adding up into the lack of access to capital. And, and then when a consumer finally needs it, uh, they can't get it and they don't want to apply for credit cards because it's this new habit now generation. They grew up on their mobile phones and they just don't want to sign up for a credit card where it takes 20 minutes and then they right. get it in two weeks. Right. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. So, it denied a lot. So why do it? You know? Uh, remind me of the stat again. What, what percentage of millennials actually have a credit card? One in three. One in One. three. That was shocking yes. to me. I, I, I mean, I, I thought it would be much higher than that. I was, I was really surprised by that. So one in three. Uh, the, have subprime scores. So two thirds of consumers under the age of 30 have a subprime or non-prime credit score. And a bunch don't even have a credit score at all. I mean, we see the data. And, and that's just because they haven't built credit. Exactly. Haven't, haven't built it at all. Yeah. Got it. So if you think about all this, it leads to a problem for merchants, especially merchants that try to sell to these young consumers. Because credit is this important tool that merchants rely on. Super. And now they're relying on third parties to help them with it. And these third parties can't figure out how to get it to young consumers. Interesting. And so that's where we kind of start Yeah. And so, so talk, about, talk about your offering and, and what Sezzle does. So talk about the payment plans. I think it's probably becoming clear, you know, the aha moment that I had as we were going through this talk. 
uh, last week was, well, this service totally makes sense. Uh, but kind of walk through the offering a little bit and and what, what you guys do. Yeah, so our goal is, as a company, our mission is to financially empower young consumers. And so we were thinking about that and how we were building this product. And we, for that reason, we didn't want to charge consumers interest rates or fees. We wanted to make it a free product because our goal was to acquire prime to be consumers. Basically these young consumers that deserve credit that aren't getting it. And we wanted that to be the, the Sezzle consumer base. And we thought if you charge any fees at all, you're going to lose prime to bees. Like I was that young consumer, if you charged me a fee, I wasn't going to use it. And so I think that's the kind of the mindset of a prime consumer. And so that's why we thought it was very important to charge nothing to the consumer. And it's really a very simple product. We want to make it like a can of Coke. Every time they use it, it's simple, easy, repeatable, you know, very fast for this habit now generation. And so it's mobile friendly and it's just four installments. So the consumer goes to checkout, say it's a $200 purchase. We split it into four $50 payments and it's automatic. Uh, we remind the consumer right before payments due, and it's every two weeks, sorry. So $50 every two weeks. And uh, basically right before the payment is due, we text them, we email them. If they want to reschedule it, we allow them to reschedule it once for free. Uh, and then it's just automated. And the consumer loves that experience because then when they come back, it's just phone and pin, and their computer remembers them too. So it's just a super simple experience in the future. And so they're essentially getting a credit-like product and a way to pay it later. Uh, with our system. And then what we do is we build in gamification behind the scenes and as consumers show good history and good um, attention to repayment with us, they get additional access to the system. Uh, additional access to the system, when, what do you mean by that? Basically their limit with us behind the scenes is right. Got it. You know, and our goal is to eventually, right now they don't see it, but our goal as a company is to bring it to the forefront. Like here's essentially where your limits are at with us. And good behavior is going to keep this going up and poor behavior is going to make it decline. So just got it. Just, that's how life works, you know? And so that's what, that's what our mission is. Totally. So there's no cost to the consumer. Yep. They can split up the total purchase value into four automatic payments, uh, which, which, which can help the consumer a lot. Feels better to not take that, exactly. that $200 hit all at once, that type of thing. Right. Now, my, my first question, because I, I think about it from the merchant side just as much. I know you guys too, do too. But was, okay, great. Uh, what about the person that, you know, buys the goods? So that I buy the jacket that's $200. And then I decide, eh, I'm not going to make my other payments, right? So it's, it's, the, yeah. it, it's the occasional bad apple out there that, 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 that wants to game the system. So, so now I'm a merchant. I just shipped this $200 coat. And now the person making payments only made the first payment. What do you do in that situation? In those cases, it's on Sezzle. So we're making the decision on who gets access to this capital. And so we're basically, you know, eating, eating that loss yep. for the merchant. Yep. And that's, a, that's part of our value proposition to the merchant is we're bringing incremental sales, but we're also taking on the risk of repayment for you. So um, that's really core. I mean, we, we've talked to merchants early on and it would be a non-starter if it was any other way. Totally, and totally. We learned very early that we had to, and it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, well, let's dive into a couple of case studies because I think this this will make things a little clearer, and and then also they're they're interesting. But talk about six eight six dot com, and and why don't you talk about what what they sell, who they're kind of selling to, and then and then how how your technology kind of played a part in in growing their sales. So six eight six is a, a brand in outerwear, apparel, uh, like snowboarding, skiing, uh, those types of products. And 
where we kind of fit in, they sell to young consumers. I mean, that, that's a, you know, a young consumer brand. And where our product fits in is, you know, they have these jackets that cost $200, $300, $400. I mean, they're high quality products. And for these young consumers, of course, they're thinking about, I'd love to have a 66 jacket. And so they can't afford it, right? So they're going to the checkout. They can't get that additional purchasing power. And so what we did with 686 is we show up on their site on product pages and on also cart pages, like a little widget that basically educates the shopper. Hey, there's this option to split up this $400 jacket purchase into four $100 payments. And now for that young consumer who maybe gets paid every couple of weeks, they can basically budget their purchase yep. to make the line up and then get that jacket for their trip now. And yep. use it. Yep. And, and I like the way that's presented. So it's right by the add to cart button and it says, you know, it's got the price. I'm looking at this code, $500 or for automatic interest-free payments of 125 yep. with Sezzle. Yep. Um, so pretty, pretty powerful. And, and it seems, and, and this is just what I've, what I've read and what I've heard is that uh, millennials also uh, typically prefer to make fewer purchases, but nicer purchases. So I'm going to, I'm going to buy the coat I want rather than, you know, getting a coat and all these other things. So I think that uh, maybe that combined with the need for credit makes us even a, a more powerful product potentially. I think you're right. And you know, I think credit's a, a powerful product, right? I mean, I use it every day. I'm sure you use it every day. Yep. I don't even think about it, but when you're a consumer that doesn't have access to it, it makes the impossible possible. Like, I'd love to have this jacket. I didn't save for it, but I'm going on a trip next week. And so we make that possible for them. And they're, you know, these young consumers are experiential. They want to make that trip. And so with, with 686, by placing us on the product page, we educate the consumer so they continue to shop. But we also are on the cart page where the biggest problem happens with a cart abandonment. Yes. So the customer is just, they're all excited about the purchase and they're like, yeah, I'd love it's, to get this it's jacket. It's that last twinge of regret, right? It's like, do I, can I really justify it? Should I really, like, this? is this what my mom would want me to do? Is this, you know, is this, is this what I should do? You know. Totally. So we basically help them budget it out and then they make the purchase, they convert. And so for 686, right after we launched, we lifted sales by 5%. We lifted their average order values by 22%. And been present ever since. I think we launched with them three months ago. Yeah, and I love the idea. I mean, obviously, lifted sales, no brainer. We, we you want that any day of the week. the The value of a larger basket or larger larger AOV um, is huge because you know I'm on I'm on the marketing side, the traffic generation side, driving more customers, you know, via Google search and shopping and YouTube and things like that. That average, that larger AOV or that larger basket allows you to be more aggressive with your marketing, right? Now you have more to play with. You, you, you can be more aggressive to get that next visitor because, you know, you know you, the numbers just work better now. And, and that, that can be a competitive advantage. As, as you get a larger AOV than your competitors, you can pay a little more on the front end to drive a visitor, which gives you an edge. So um, I think it goes beyond just the obvious, I'm making more money right now, but those larger baskets allow you to scale as well, allow you to ramp up, which is which is really important. Um, very cool. So 686, um, so, so they're selling coats and the coat I just mentioned was 500. They're doing outerwear and things. So who do you think this really fits for? So let's let's talk about... You know, the merchant, obviously we know it's it's primarily going to be targeting younger shoppers, but what's kind of the ideal cart size where someone would be saying, you know, I should consider this. I can probably see a lift if my cart value is currently X or if I want it to be 
why, you know, what, what range of cart does this product fit? You know, that's kind of the shocker here for merchants. They'll expect this to work for larger basket sizes, uh, where some of our like complementary type products where, you know, interest bearing installments work for furniture and so on, you know, dollar plus with a firm in Klarna. Uh, our product, our average order value on our system is $120, which I think is shockingly low. It is low. And it is low. Yeah. And so I think part of the reason that that happens is because we're free, we're easy, the consumer is willing to continue to use us for small purchases where we continue to help them budget. They're basically using us in lieu of a credit card because they don't want to sign up for the credit card. So they like the easy sign up process, I think, is what is ended up happening. Uh, but it is definitely driving additional sales. So I would say the sweet spot for our merchants are probably more like the 686s where you're like 200 to 300. Yep. I mean, that's like home run no brainer area yep. in terms of where we help the most. But for merchants that even have basket sizes of 60 to $80, we also have amazing results. We have another case study with a company called Inflow Style, where they sell women's fitness, you know, athleisure type wear, uh, you know, almost like a Lululemon. Huge category right now, that athleisure, it's hot. And they have smaller basket sizes, like, you know, 80 to $100 basket sizes. And right after we launched, we did 8% lift in sales and we had 40% larger AOVs. So, you know, instead of buying one pair of leggings, these shoppers were buying two. You know, I've even seen like when we launched this product early on, because there's a lot of education right now about the product, you'll see a customer shop with us. And this is where it kind of like is a, the AOV lift is a little bit hidden. We'll see a customer shop and buy one pair of leggings and then they'll check out again. They'll, they'll say like, oh, that was really easy. Uh, let me do it again. Interesting. Two pairs. Almost like waiting to see, is there a catch? Is there a hitch along the way? Am I going to be dinged with some kind of fee or something? Totally. At the end. That's fascinating. And then when they see it work, they're like, oh, I'm going to buy another pair. I mean, I, I saw that happen tons of times. So our AOV stats get dinged by that when we report them. But I mean, it makes me smile because I see that the, the customer loved it and sure. wants to use it again. Basically, basically the same thing. I mean, it, it does mess with your standard AOV stats, but who cares? Yeah, uh, you're, you're you're really getting the that sale. I'm sure the merchants, you know, they see the second checkout and they're like, oh yeah, this is working. Absolutely. And so it's really interesting. You know, that that's something we talk about all the time with our clients is how do we sell more? And 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 if you back it up, right? And I mentioned this guy on my podcast before, but but Jay Abraham, are you a Jay Abraham fan at all? Do you, does that name ring a bell? He's, he's, really. he's a marketing consultant from a long okay. time ago, like the early 90s you know, to mid-90s. He's actually back on Facebook now, seeing some ads for Jay Abraham. But he talks about, you know, there are really only three ways to grow a business. You can either uh, get more new customers, right? You can, you can raise your average order value. You can raise your AOV. And you can increase the frequency of repurchase. Those are really the only three ways to grow the business, right? I mean, they're all, you know, thousands, millions of, of variations, but they all would fall under one of those categories. More new customers, getting them to buy more each time or getting them to buy more frequently. And I think this product can do a pretty good job of those last two things. You know, so we're always, always thinking like, how do you get someone to buy, instead of buying one pair of leggings, how do they buy two? And so you're looking at discounts, you're looking at incentives, you're looking at whatever, and and what if maybe the answer is you just offer payments yeah. and and then they then you charge you're charging the same amount but there more people are going to go ahead and buy two of one item uh, than one which is which is fascinating yeah you know and there are a lot of you know I think with our with our product um, there's a lot of discussion around is it 
is it cannibalizing at all or is it uh, all additional new sales? You know, it's, it's kind of difficult to tell. You know, there's there's price and profit, right? There'll be some, I'm sure. Yeah. So but, both. You know, what uh, the founder of Inflow Style brought up is, first of all, I'm giving my customers a way to pay that they want to pay. Like, so when you see that, you know, 10% of your sales is going through this sales channel, this is how they want to pay. So you're giving them a way to pay that they really enjoy paying with. And I think that's important. That's, what, you know, one of the reasons why you want to offer PayPal or for Amazon pay because it just helps your, if your customer likes that way, you know, basically give it to them. But I think to your point, also buying more, I think when you have that customer, they might've checked out with you three times in a year. When you give them this plan, yeah, you're their new point. Like they're going to go to you. Yep. Yep. You shop with you eight times or 10 times. Yep. Yep. And then that, and that, those increases in each of those three areas, uh, you know, and we'll just take the last two average cart and uh, frequency of repurchase. You can get little bumps there can have a huge impact on your business overall. So, so really cool. Um, let's, let's kind of, oh, did you have another thought there on that? I would say like, even for point number one, one thing we really haven't even talked about, but there is a aspect to our business, which I think is really interesting. There's the affiliate aspect where a merchant- really read my mind, man. I was, I was going here. We're, we're on the yeah, same we have, wavelength. Yeah, we have nearly 100,000 shoppers already. We just recently launched. And we when a merchant comes on our platform, they show up on our directory. And- that's the second most frequent page on our website outside of our homepage. Basically shoppers are coming to that directory searching for products and merchants that sell products that look, they would like to buy once they become a Sezzle user. So we do help bring new users to these yeah. merchants as well. Yeah. Which, which makes sense. Like someone says, Hey, I like shopping this way. Where else can I shop this way? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, good. And so, so then um, uh, any other, areas you want to kind of highlight on the product. Um, I know there's a, the pro, the payment processing component, right? That obviously that, that's, that makes sense. You're, you're, you're the one processing the payment creating the, uh, the, the, uh, breaking up into installments and all that. So uh, t- talk about that. How does that part work? The payment processing piece? Well, essentially the payment processing is you know, included in the, the product. So when a, when a customer comes through our checkout, you can almost think of it as like a PayPal checkout as a merchant. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about additional fees for payment processing. Basically we do that in through our plumbing for you. So, you know, a typical merchant for us is on Shopify and they'll have 40% of their checkout going through Shopify payments, you know, 30% going through PayPal, 10% going through Amazon pay or so on. And like another 10% going through us. And so when they go through our channel, there aren't any additional fees. It's just our fee. And, and that's it. So you don't really have to worry about the processing piece if you're a merchant. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, very good. So any, any other uh, insights, any, anything else you've seen from merchants where you're like, oh, this is a surprise that, that we saw this, this lift uh, or, or any, any other tidbit that you forgot to mention about the history of credit? Because that, strangely, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. I mean, it's so recent too, you know, like 1950. Yeah. It's pretty... Uh, crazy. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I think we covered a lot of it. Um, for us, we're really excited because our mission is around financially empowering these young consumers. Yep. And so I think our future game plan is going to continue to evolve around how do we help young consumers? And in the process, how do we help the merchants along the way? Yep. So we're always going to be thinking about that. We're a younger company. Uh, if merchants have ideas or want to talk over things in our space, I mean, I think you're going to find a company that's all ears because I learned that in my last company that really listening to the customer is the key to success. And so we're continuing to do that here. So would love to you know, maybe get feedback or ideas. 
for merchants out there. And, you know, uh, we know it's early and we want to make a product they love. Yeah, it was really interesting. You know, at, at IRCE, we were in the same row, I think, just a, a handful of booths down. And a lot of activity at your booth, man. A lot of people, a lot of merchants curious and asking questions and pretty engaged. I think you, you, you've you hit that spot where it's like consumers love it, merchants love it and see the value. And so... So kudos to you, product market fit. I think you guys, you guys are, are totally there. So uh, we'll link to you guys in the show notes. But how else can people connect with Sezzle and and connect with you? Yeah, if you're a merchant out there, if you just come to Sezzle.com, we've got a great way to set up like a demo if they want to see a demo of our system uh, with one of our sales team, or they can just sign up. I mean, we have a really easy onboarding process where. We started with really small merchants and that's kind of like our specialty as a company, although we're starting to get bigger and bigger merchants as we grow. Uh, so it's really easy to sign up and try it out. And uh, we offer first month free. Um, so if they go through your podcast and, and want to click through, they'll get a first uh, first month free to try it out. And uh, there's no hook. Awesome. Yeah, check it out. EcommerceEvolution.com. We'll have a link to Sezzles and get that free month. Uh, Charlie... You, Akeem, ladies and gentlemen. Charlie, that was phenomenal. Uh, I feel enlightened after our discussions. Really interesting stuff. And, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome. So as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, give us some show ideas, topic ideas. And, and if you like the show, guys, we'd love it if you left a review. Leave that review on iTunes. Helps more people find the show and discover the show. And so we greatly appreciate that. And so with that, uh, as always, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on resources and guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.